And so one day I just I couldn't stop selling drugs and I didn't even do drugs. I just, you know, it just becomes a cycle. Right. And so I cried out to God and he showed me real estate. I put together a business plan and I realized I could make $10,000 a month doing real estate. But I thought like, man, that's not no money. I can't live off of that. Because as a drug dealer, my budget, I did have a budget. My budget was 57000 a month. So I was reckless. Um, and it took me some time to get out of that. But my first year, I think I um, I bought 12 or 13 properties and I cashed out about $360,000 over and above and beyond. I was using the Burr method. Welcome. Welcome to The Remix, the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I'm Noel Fryson and... I'm Eric Anderson and we are so excited to have a special guest here today. And Noel's going to tell you all about him. <laughs> well, first, you know our power panel. We have a smaller panel today. We have Omar Sharif, our flipper, and we are going to be talking with Nate Barger. Nate went from a life of crime. He went from being very, 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 feeling very, very low. And now he has um, over 200 million in real estate holdings, as well as 3,500 Burr units. And he owns hotels. He is a hotelier. So, and he flipped over 3,500 properties. That's probably my favorite of all of them. Yes, he is a flipper mm -hmm. up your alley, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, we are going to bring on Nate. There he is. Hey, Nate. Hey, Welcome guys. To the thank remix. you so much. How are you guys doing today? Thank you for having me on. Oh, we're happy to have you. We are. Nate, we want to start off with your story. We want to know where were you and how did you get sort of that that time when you were you were doing wrong and how did you go through that and come to where you are now? Could you give us a little bit of background? Yeah, absolutely. So first, I want to go back and, and you know, tell everybody it starts usually it starts in childhood. You know, if you're going to be a life of crime, usually something happens to you traumatic in childhood. Um. And, and so a lot of you guys that are listening, I want you to take away what I want you to take away from my story is that, look, you can do anything you want to do once you put your mind to it. It doesn't matter what your background is. That's simply that. That's your background. That's not your future. And so, you know, I started off, um, grew up in a normal blue collar alcoholic family. You know, my mom stayed at home. My dad, he worked. He, uh, you know, but he was an alcoholic and she was an alcoholic and she was, you know, high anxiety and they fought all the time. And they were really young when they had us, me, my brother and sister. And um, we really just kind of raised ourselves. They weren't around. And, you know, I think going back to counseling years later and getting help, I realized that my dad traumatized me when I was like four years old. He, he hung me over by my ankles, hung me over a, a dam by my ankles, and I thought he was going to kill me. And so, you know, you think about a four year old kid and you think your dad is going to kill you and your mom's over there. She's like stunned. She doesn't know what to do. But I had buried all that. And so I was always I always had a lot of friends, but I was always like, I don't know. I was just I was just um kind of to myself, even though I had a lot of friends. And so at a young age, I started selling drugs and listening to rap music and started embracing that and believing all that stuff was real. And so by the time I was 13, 14 years old, I got sent away to military school. Um, 
that was the option or I could go. Uh, I think that was one of the options or I was going to go do some time. So I went to military school because my brother was already up there. Um, and then when I, you know, I met more criminals in there. And when I got out, I started selling drugs and came came home. Our neighborhood was infested with crack cocaine. That was the early 90s and started selling crack on the street corners. And um, but you if know, I'm by, correct, you started making a lot of money doing that, right? No, nah, not really. I mean, I was buying, you know, like an ounce, maybe a quarter key. I wasn't selling a lot of cocaine um, back then. <laughs> so I, I wasn't making much money. I was making, you know, a couple thousand dollars a week. Um, and then I ended up going to prison. Um, 18, I 17 years old. I caught my first felony. No, I just turned 18. I think I caught my first felony, got put on probation. Um, then within a year of that, I would catch a case and end up going to prison. I was out 57 days. Um, I caught another case, went right back to prison. So I'm 22 and I'm, I'm walking around the track with this guy. His name was Chris. Uh, uh, never forget him. Chris Hemsworth from Columbus, Ohio. And I live in Cincinnati Okay. and I'm walking around the track with him. And he's like, you know, my buddies got caught. And I'm like, man, we all got caught. That's why we're in here. And I was like, what did they get caught with? And he was like 13 tons of weed. And I was like, man, you know how much weed I can move, man. And, I, I, you know, you think about when you're in jail, if any of you guys, hopefully you've never been in jail. But if you have, you like think about all the things you're going to do when you get out. Right. Because you can't really do nothing in there. And so, uh, you know, I got out before him and. One day he called, he ended up calling my mom and um, cause that was the only phone number I had. And she said, some guy named Chris called from Columbus and I called him and he was like, are you ready? And, you know, we went down there to Texas, man. And we had to wait about 10, 10 or 12 days. At first I was thinking like, man, is this real? And they came and they gave us 96 pounds of weed wow. and wow. that's all that would fit in the trunk. And then, um, you know, I start, they start bringing it up to me. I was moving it so quick. They would bring me 300 pounds every week. And then, um, you know, I was maybe marking that up $200 a pound. So I was making, you know, $60,000 every week, which was not bad money, but sometimes you only get 150. So um, then, you know, I almost got caught, man. And, and so that was, that was scary for me again. They had came up and got a hotel and I was like, nah, you guys got to get a house. You can't be staying at hotels. And well, we almost got caught and I felt like it was their fault. So I severed that relationship. And then I was just trying and struggling and trying to find something else to do legit. But I never knew anything. Everybody around me was criminals. Um, my best friends, they were jack boys. I mean, they would break in people's houses and, you know, put guns at their head, make them open the safes. And so it was like I, and, and then it was like I didn't have anybody around me to educate me and tell me, like, hey, that stuff's wrong. You know, that was just the way you live in. And so um, I tried I, I maybe had. I maybe had about a hundred and something thousand dollars saved up. Not a lot for all the crime I did, but I was trying to find a way and I was doing a roofing company and I was doing starting all these rim and tire shops and all these different businesses, but I just kept failing. And so ultimately I went back to selling weed. This time I ended up getting it out of Arizona. Now, when I started getting out of Arizona, I was making, you know, $700 a pound. Cause it was, you know, more than that. Actually, I was getting it for five seventy five, and I was selling it for 1400 a pound. So, you know, I started making money then. I was making about $240,000 every trip and I would do a trip a week sometimes and that's profit. And so, you know, I was making money, but I went through and, and I had a nightclub and, you know, that never really made money. That was just more of uh, uh, and I, I, I was really looking for something to do. I just had no. What led you, you to real estate, though? So, yeah, that's why I'm getting into real estate. So, you know, I'm 29 years old. 
I got about two million dollars. I don't need money. I, I got you know, I'm just I'm miserable. I'm almost suicidal, depressed, I would say. Um, I got all this money, but I'm so paranoid. I know I'm going back to prison. And so one day I just I couldn't stop selling drugs and I didn't even do drugs. I just, you know, it just becomes a cycle. Right. And so I cried out to God and he showed me real estate. And within I'm real good with numbers. And so within, um, you know, an hour, I put together a business plan and I realized I could make ten thousand dollars a month doing real estate. But I thought like, man, that's not no money. I can't live off of that because as a drug dealer, my budget, I did have a budget. My budget was fifty seven thousand a month. So I was reckless. Um, and it took me some time to get out of that. But my first year, I think I um, I bought 12 or 13 properties and I cashed out about three hundred and sixty thousand dollars over and above and beyond. I was using the Burr method. I didn't even understand. Well, you know, we didn't know what the Burr method was. We just called a cash out refi. And that was 2005. So let, let's talk about your first deal. What was your absolute first deal? And, and tell us how you got there and um, your motivation to do it. Yep. So. Um, actually my first deal was a house that I bought for $6,000 and I, I tore it down to the ground. Um, and then I built it back up. I used the foundation and uh, underground plumbing and everything that was there. And I built it back up and I was all in that for 75,000 and I sold that for one sixteen. Um, and my motivation to do it was just cause I wanted to make a legit living. And while I'm doing that, it's in a community where I had a nightclub. The police knew me from the nightclub and they knew me because I was a drug dealer. The police came over there and said, hey, there's a house around the corner, man. It's in bad shape. You guys ought to go over there and look at it. And me and um, I think my partner, Mike, put the deal together, who I'm still partners with today. Um, and we ended up buying that one for for six thousand. But the guy, it was some stuff like, um, um, you know, he was the trustee. So he couldn't take any money. So I was like, look, man, I'll give you $2,000 just to take your stuff out of the house. That was a way of me giving him money or whatever. So we bought that for $6,000. I had $38,000 in that thing, and I still got that property today. I got $38,000 in it. And then when I um, got it reappraised and was doing a cash out refi, it appraised at ninety five. dollars I got it done for $38,000, and I did it in 38 days. I was just highly motivated to find something to do legit. I was so happy to find something to do legit. It was like the sure. first thousand dollars I made in real estate felt better than the first million I made selling drugs. Totally get it. So you, you, your first projects were in the neighborhood that you had been selling the drugs in. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. I didn't, I wasn't buying in the good neighborhoods. I was buying in the, in the C and D neighborhoods. But that's so you started in an area that you yeah. that you knew, which is awesome. But also you yep. were helping the neighborhood by fixing up the 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 houses that had been run down, right? Well, that's at the time, it, 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 like now, yes. But back then, I ain't care about the neighborhoods. I'm just trying to get some money. <laughs> you know, like back so, then, it was a whole different mindset. It was all survival. But yeah, right. now it's all about um, creating workforce housing for the community and understanding how all that works together. So you talk about um, in your story and you, you're promoting yourself, you talk about uh, lever levering up or lever up. So how, how do I lever up and um, what is lever lever up? What does it mean? Well, you know, you guys teach educational stuff. I do, too. And I show people how to take you could take 30,000 and 72 X your money. You know, Grant Cardone, he 10 X, man, I'm 72 X. So 72 <laughs> times 30,000 is $2.1 million. And I have a spreadsheet that I give my academy members and we show them step by step how to do it. It's all just math, right? So the math part is easy, but then the executing, how do you go out and execute that? Um, 
So it's basically using a burr, buy, renovate, rent, refinance, repeat over and over and over. And so that's how I built my wealth. Um, and using using that tactic, you guys, you guys use that tactic as well, right? Correct. Yeah. We teach so it and use it. We have we have a class on it. Um uh Eric and Omar use it all the time. It's a great method. It's it's brilliant. And and you said yep. your first your first flip was run it like a, a almost a new construction you know most yep. people don't start out with a new construction um i know my first flip was just a renovation and i think omar yours yep. was too Same thing. but you know you weren't apprehensive to start out with with such a big project as your first one but, but nate just a quick quick question alongside that um did you start out with the two million that you had saved up was that your starting point when you decided to take that into real estate no comment <laughs> 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 no, the reason I ask is because you started out as a new construction. Um, you had something much had bigger, for example. He had his own finance. I think he had his own so, so, yeah. so you got to think, you got to think about the fear factor, right? And so here I am selling drugs and I take my attorney $80,000 in a bag. I say, hey, man, I need to retain you. And he said, for what? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so when... when and he pushed it back. He said, Nate, I can't take this. Anything over 10,000, I have to. And, and, and I was just that paranoid. So I was to a point in my life right then, guys, um, where all I wanted was I was like, man, I just want to go take this attorney. I, I'm going to cop out to like three years. I just want to go back to prison. Last time I had peace was in prison. Right. And now I knew the stakes had went up because the feds was watching me. So if the feds catch you, I'm doing I'm doing 15 right with my multiplier. Because, you know, you got a multiplier based off your arrest and your criminal history. Um, and so I felt like, man, if I could just go cop out to three or four years, man, and come out clean, man, I'll do it. Think about the mindset that I had. And so you think I'm scared about building a house? Like, man, I ain't scared about building no house. I'm worried about doing these 20 years in a Fed joint. Well, that's what keeps people out of, I think, flipping. Most part is people are scared yeah. to just start it. And, you know, one of the things that we always talk about is you got to be in it to win it. You just got to take that first step. Even if you don't make tons of money the first time, just getting over that initial hurdle and getting it done is really the way to get started. But so you flipped over 3,500 properties. So what? 4,000. Yeah, now it's 4,000. Okay. So were, were a lot of those actual rehabs or did you do wholesaling in that in that area too no nah, those are all units that we've renovated and and so i buy i'm a buy and hold guy but it's still really a flip when you're doing commercial real estate it looks like it's a buy and hold but it's not i'll give you an example i bought a property in march of 2020 for 2.8 million i had to put 1.5 million in it so i'm in it for 4.3 and I'm selling it right now. I should be closing in about a week for $9.65 million. So the goal for me was really just to come in. It was a 128-unit complex. The goal was really just to renovate it and get the rents up. By pushing the rents up, you push the net operating income up. By pushing the net operating income off, that's what you're selling. So the goal for me is always to buy, push value, sell, and scale. So I take that $5 million out. Now I'm going to go leverage that and go buy a $25 million property. You just buy more property. You just learn to lever up. So Nate, when you started out with that one new construction build, how did you scale up from there? Because at that time you were local, you, you started learning the game. But how do you, how do you go from that to doing 4, 000, over 4,000 deals at this point? Yep. So um, 
I really learned the construction process really well. And then I learned because I'm doing it all. I'm leasing. I'm taking, you know, 50 calls a day for whatever. Like, guys, look, whatever it is, you have to tackle. There's nobody that's going to knock on your door and save you. And I'm, I'm, I'm answering your question a roundabout way. Um, I had got up to, I think it was nine properties and I had cashed out, refied all of them. And now I got like uh, $4,000 something dollars a month in mortgage payments, right? And um, none of them are rented. So I'm now burning through my cash. So now I get a property management company to come in. And, you know, after about a week, I call them. I'm like, hey, what y'all get leased? Nothing. Oh, it doesn't work like that. What do you mean it doesn't? What the hell you mean it doesn't work like that? And then after another week, oh, nothing. We got some prospects. I say, hey, man, I just need my properties back. So I go out and I put ads in the paper that weekend. I rented every single one of them. And I was like, now, did I sacrifice a weekend with my wife? Yeah. You know, I did, but who cares? You know, I still got some of those properties today. Actually, I got one of those properties today that still has the same tenant in it. Nice. Paying me rent ever since. So it's 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 understanding that the sacrifice when you're in real estate that you put in a decade ago is still going to pay you for in the future. And so once I learned the system and I learned how to manage myself a little bit, then I had to learn how to deal with the banks because I had to put the paperwork together. Then I had to learn how to find the hack because I didn't really have the money to do the renovation. It's all systematic. And that's what they can learn by taking your guys' class. Man, they're going to skip this decade of learning curve that I had to go through, that you guys had to go through. And so I found some private investors. And then what I did was I learned to mark my construction up. So in other words, let's say I'm going to be all in this property for $80,000. And that's back then, guys. You know, I know prices are a lot higher right now. Um, you know, I'm not asking for 80. If I know it's going to appraise at 150, I'm coming in. I'm telling him I need 75% of the 150. So I'm getting that cash up front. So I'm not waiting on the bank. I'm not having my money tied up while I'm waiting on the bank to uh, uh to do refi so I can do the cash out. I already did the cash out on the front end. So after you got rolling on this and you realized that you needed to get uh, bank loans or investors, how did your background what role did the background that you had not the not the good part of the background but the bad part of the background you know with the with the hit criminal history how do, how did that play a factor in raising money and getting loans nobody really looks at that no they don't look at that when you're doing loans now when you start doing larger commercial loans they do they'll they'll get a letter of explanation from you um and then you know when you start getting like I own Marriott and Hilton hotels and IHG Man, surprising. They they said nothing to me about it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm like first hotel was a Marriott. I'm like, man, I don't know if they're going to let me on the, the agreement. But it was it was 1990s. I've been out since 97. So, you know, it, it's old. That's huh? 25 years ago. Yeah, 25 years ago. Exactly. 25 years ago. June fourteenth of ninety seven was when I got. So out. how did you and go? How did you go from the the rental properties into the hotels? Like what was the the, the change there? Where did that happen? But but real quick, Nate, so, before we make that jump, <laughs> just to take take a step back, how did you find these private investors, and what type of terms did you give them initially? Uh, like what so, what was the return on someone lending you seventy five seventy five percent of that one fifty? Good question, because um. Like, I didn't know nobody. All my friends were criminals. They'd give me money, but I can't take it. I'm going to jail if I take their money. Right. So I had a I had a bank account at Huntington Bank. I don't know if you guys got Huntington up there. I have a loan with them, actually. 
Yeah. Yes. And so the banker kept calling me and the banker called me because, I, you know, I had I had decent amount of deposits in there. And he called and he said, you know, I he called me in there and said, what what can I do for you? He wanted to help me grow because, you know, if I'm growing, he's growing his bank. And so um, I formed a relationship with him. And guys, think about this. I'm from the hood, so I don't know nobody with money. I don't know nobody with money. My family ain't got no money. Legitimate so, money. Huh? Legitimate money. You Legit probably legitimate money. There you go. There you go. But even that, even that when you're selling drugs, man, drug dealers don't most part don't have a lot of money. I mean, 10, 20, 30, 50, 100,000. I'm talking about meeting people that got millions and millions of dollars. Right. And so um, you guys probably got that. Y'all in New York. Y'all got the big yeah. drug dealers. But down here in Cincinnati, we ain't got people like that. Yeah, we ain't got them, man. We just got. And, and so I met this guy and he was like, man, one of my one of my friends who also banks here. He has a couple million dollars that he wants to invest and, and he's not getting any yield. And so I put a presentation together and I was like, man, I'll give you 11% interest, 11% and two points. And he took it. And the first deal I did with him was $150,000 multifamily that I bought for 98,000. I still got it today. It's worth about 600,000. So look, guys, bought it for 98. I had to put 20 in it. I'm in it for 118, right? I know it's going to be worth 200 when I'm done. So I told him I need a 150. And, you know, the day of closing come, I ain't got the money. He ain't taking my car. He ain't answering, man. I'm like, oh, man, this guy done pump fake me, man. And so um, I just keep blowing his phone up. And then I'm like, hey, man, you going to do this deal or not? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just been busy. And, and we're, you know, I'm like, man, I got to close the day. And he just sent me the money. No paperwork, nothing. He sent me the money. And so um, then, you know, I went out and I refinanced the property. I fixed it up. I renovated it. And I got I took a loan out and they gave me 150 back. And I realized at that time, like I had already buried it and pulled the cash out. Um, but they didn't know that because when he filed up, when when we did do the uh, payoff, it was one hundred fifty thousand dollar payoff. So the one hundred fifty thousand dollar payoff was I just was going to get a rate and term refi. Right. And so he calls me and says, man, I'm having a bad day. And I said, what, what's going on, Jim? He said, well, I got this check for $150,000. And I said, okay, well, why are you having a bad day? I thought you'd be happy. He's like, no, I really want the interest. And I was like, Jim, I can buy more property. And so, man, now I got somebody to fund me properties and I just start rolling with them. And I had a couple other private investors that I had met too. Um, but that was about 2008, 2009. Um, I got married in 2007. My wife really helped me change my life because I was an alcoholic too. And, you know, she helped me get sober 2006. You look at my arrest record, I probably got like 60 different court cases. They all stopped when I stopped drinking. And so, um, you know, I was I became an alcoholic, too, guys. And so I overcame that through the power of God. I mean, I'll tell you guys that story later if you want to hear it. But um, I really was just hustled so hard that people started taking notice notice. And it felt so good to be able to just do something legit. Yeah. Yeah. So this was around 2008. And from what I remember, the market was overpriced at that point, right before the crash. So you have funding at this point, but but how did you scale and find deals that made sense to Burr? Because when we do it as well, but given the market today is much different, it's hard to find deals that add up. And then when you when you try to scale it, what's your marketing technique to get those to grow at the pace that you did? I don't think so. There's an abundance of deals out here. I can close as many deals as I want to close. The difference is really understanding how to look at those deals different. Um, I mean, I got two hotels right now. We could pick up for 36 million, put about eight or nine million in, and they worth 82 million. 
it's all knowing how to look at the numbers and how to run the numbers and how to execute. Um, I mean, Cincinnati, we had um, 38% uh, um, rent growth last year. So when you're selling something off for net operating income, you're selling it off as, at a cap rate. Man, that 38% rent growth, you may not see that. You may see 20% rent growth, but that's millions of dollars on an apartment complex. So do you yeah. stay in that in that market area or do you do stuff out of the state as well? I'm really only focused. I got about 16, 1700 uh, apartments right now. And I got four hotels. I got a, another hotel I'm building down in Florida. Um, I got two more that I'm working to get on a contract. I'm really focused on hotels right now because hotels, I mean, life is good. I don't really need the money anymore. And I just really, I worked so hard for so long, so many 18 hour days and, you know, sacrifice so much that I just want to enjoy life a little bit now. Good for you. So, so how did you, how did you get into that hotel? What was that motivating factor for you to switch? Great question. So I went bankrupt. 2008, 2009, 2010, I went bankrupt. June 14th of 97, I got out of prison. June 14th of 2013, my bankruptcy got discharged. Chapter seven, I lost everything. And so in losing everything, I learned a lot because I didn't stop. Just because I was losing stuff, just because the sheriff's at my house, didn't mean that I stopped. I kept pushing. I ended up negotiating with the banks. I ended up getting my, my private investors never missed a payment. And so when I came out of bankruptcy, they were still there with money. They was like, man, you could have took us down. And, you know, it was hard. It was hard as hell. Like there were days when I cried, man. Um, And I, and, and, and outside the house, because I didn't want my wife to have to deal with that. Because at this time, you know, we got a kid. We got two kids, three kids. And so, um. You know, I called my partner, Mike, when I was going bankrupt because we had kind of drifted apart in 2006. Did you go and bankrupt the, because of the market, because of the 2008 crash? No, nah, we drifted apart because we had different visions for what we wanted to do. But uh, the bankruptcy, did that happen because of the crash? Oh, yeah, that definitely happened because of the crash. Um, And so I called Mike because Mike had lost everything before. And he's got a book called From Broke to, Broke to Millions. And he'll tell you about losing everything. And so I called him and he helped me, you know, he started laughing when I told him what I was going through and, you know, I wanted to smack him. But um, I, you know, he was laughing because he was like, man, sounds like a great opportunity. And so, see, that's a mindset shift. You know, one's man's problems is another man's treasure. Right. But Mike helped and showed me how to work everything out with the banks. And a lot of those properties I still have today. Actually, three of them I got back free and clear from the banks because they couldn't prove that they had title on them. Um, and, and so, you know. Never stop fighting. You only fail when you stop, you know, so so or when you die. Right. And so if you're giving up prematurely, you'll never make it. Nate, and I so love Mike, that. Everything is an opportunity. I love that. Everything like, is there's an, an opportunity. opportunity. Yeah, I, I it is. And I got to get rid of all these properties that I had too much leverage on going through bankruptcy. And I got to come in and use my private investors to buy the ones back I wanted to keep. And so in 2015, you know, by 2015, I came out of bankruptcy 2013, 2014. We bought 28 percent of the multifamily that traded in Cincinnati with a 400 credit score with no money. Right. Because I learned how to syndicate. I learned how to find people that had credit that could sign for debt. I learned that if I had to deal that if I knew how to put it together, I knew how to manage it. I knew how to do the construction. I knew how to evaluate it. 
then I could find other people to fill in the gaps. And that's how I learned how to syndicate. I ended up meeting some um, some banking guys and they taught me all this stuff. And I learned I started learning about cap rates. And at first I thought cap rates were a scam. I was like, nah, man, if you put one dollar down to net operating income, you're going to get 12 back. That sounds like a scam. And but once I realized why they did that, because, you know, we're selling at eight cap and they're borrowing money at a six. It was a leverage return. I really started to understand that it started to make sense. And um, 2015, no, Mike was down in Atlanta. He's good friends with, uh, um, you know, famous. Um, what's his name? Uh, Jerome Bettis. And so he's down there with him and he's down there with this other guy named Mitt. And he asked Mitt, he said, hey, Mitt, how's your he just seen Mitt happy all the time. He said, Mitt, how's your hotel doing? And he said, which one, Mike? And, you know, I got 70 of them. Wow. And wow. so Mike was inspired to get into hotels because this guy was also part owner of the Atlanta uh, uh, Hawks. And so Mike was like, man, we need to do hotels. And I was like, man, I'm scared to death, bro. I want to do nothing right now. Well, Mike went out and got a $75 million development project because Mike was kind of like involved in the city. And he ended up winning the RFP for that. The deal didn't end up going through. Mike ended up losing three or $400,000 on it. But his desire to want to get a hotel didn't go away. So uh, a few years later, hotel comes up and it was a courtyard Marriott and it needed renovated. And that's our strength is renovation. And he kind of dragged me into it. To be honest with you, I was fearful. I didn't want to do it. I didn't know how we were going to do it. I didn't know how we were going to get it done. And everything that we just kept saying, we just kept finding a solution. Well, we can't. They won't let us do it because we can't sign for debt. We don't own any hotels. Okay, we got these people to sign for debt. What's next? Okay, this. What's next? What's next? And and that's it. And we overcame that. And then Mike calls me. He says, "Hey, man, I need you at the attorney office tomorrow. Got we got a closing, and we close on properties probably you know every week. So that wasn't weird. And then so I was like, okay, what we closing on? He was like the hotel, and I had like anxiety set in so i was afraid did you use the same oh. the same investor pool to get those hotels and then where where how is the money different between rental properties that you have and then now with these hotels well the one um investor i told you that was really plugging me he ended up dying like i was down in puerto rico and he just they took him in the hospital and he died like he, there was i just talked to him a week before about another hotel and he was going to invest in that. He, he just died. And right. so um, <laughs> you can't fix that. He, yeah, he wasn't an option for us. He had something wrong with his heart. OK, that so sucks. We had to go out and we had to refigure out how to raise capital and, and, and go out and syndicate and how to do a 506B and a 506C and, um, you know, put a PPM together. And I had to understand blue sky laws. These are all things that you need to understand if you're syndicating capital, guys. And so. Um, we, we had a bunch of investors, but we had some out of China who had um, money over here who ended up giving us the bulk of that hotel. But we also, you know, on a house, you need what, 20, 30, 40, $50,000 down. You can call a friend on a hotel. You need a couple million down. Sure. So that's a little bit more. But we worked it out, I think, where we only had to bring $1.7 million to closing on this hotel. We use what was called PACE, which are energy tax credits, and the bank will count them. Even though you're creating these um, these these subsidies, they go on your tax assessment as energy credits. Then you get to get the, the money from the energy credits. So it's a way of getting money where you don't have to actually raise money. Got it. So your friend, your partner got you into the hotels. 
and you're still apprehensive. You're not sure where it's going. So now going down the road a couple of years, how, how is the, the money different between owning a hotel versus owning a multifamily complex? Uh, hold on. I'll tell you. Hold on. I'm going to pull up one of my reports and see how much we did last night. Last so, night, one night. This is, this is real time. Real I love time. it. We're yeah, going to see real time. real time. What was the money? Real Show time. me and the I money. Can, and I can put this up on the screen for you probably, but uh, let's see here. Okay, this is one of our hotels here. Let's see how much is done on the month so far. $343,000 so far this month. And from how many one hotel? From how many units? One hotel. So how many how many keys? This is 145 keys. It did $11,330.85 last night. Wow. It was 84% occupied. The average uh, daily rate was $91.89. And so that's in Cincinnati, 80. right? Or no, this, is in, this one's in Indianapolis. Okay. So they're a lot more, uh, they're better. They're class like A assets. Um, I don't have to be involved in the day-to-day. -day. All of the uh, properties that I buy, I'm heavily involved in until they get over to the management company. But even when they get over to the management company, it might take 18 months. Because when I'm buying a 100-unit complex, we're stabilizing it. We're coming in. We're new roofs. We're new gutters. We're painting exterior, new windows. We're redesigning the kitchens and gutting the bathrooms. We're taking these buildings that were functionally obsolete, maybe blowing out walls, and I'm coming in designing that. And, you know, they're just old buildings from the 1970s. The plumbing stacks are messed up. That landscaping, you got water issues. I mean, everything. So those issues aren't resolved the day you buy them. A lot of times you need a big rainstorm and you say, okay, we got some more problems. So it's always, you know, there's always problems with the apartments. With the hotels, it's more understanding why you're buying here. What are the demand drivers? Where's the opportunity at? What can we do to push the average daily rate? What can we do to push the occupancy? And that's done more on an executive level as opposed to me sure. going in there and physically doing the work. So so you would say that you're, you're multifamily and you're flipping led you into this new world of hotel ownership. Now, is that going to be your focus moving forward? Are you still, you know, having uh, these remembrances of when you did these smaller deals or, or you're just, that's where you're going and, and the rest is, is something you're never going to go back to. Yeah. So I'm an advantageous buyer. So right now, if I found a multifamily that was probably above 20 million, that was a good deal. I would probably look at it. Um, but I got to look at my time and how much of my time it's going to take up. Right now, hotels, there's a ton of opportunity because of COVID. And, you know, there's not enough developers in a hotel space right now where the apartment space is kind of oversaturated. Everybody has apartments. Everybody's doing apartments. And it's easier to get into that. The money's easier to get. It's harder to get qualified on a hotel. And so for right now, my margins are better. You know, I want to get to a billion dollars over the next three years in hotels, in the hotel space and in some developing. But if there's an opportunity that opens itself up as far as an apartment complex, I would buy it in Cincinnati um, and I would buy it nationally. We were just looking at one in Raleigh. It would just have to be the right opportunity, though. Could you use for someone who's starting out or let's say they're midway to where you are? Could you use the the ho the apartment buildings that you have um, as leverage to get into your hotels or to get into a hotel project? 
You can, but you're gonna have to partner. So what Mike, what Mike, my partner Mike Gilly was smart enough to do was we got this this uh what do you call it executive summary put together. And it's got a picture of me and Mike in there, but it's got a picture of Dr. Sapp, the guy that signed for debt. You know, he's got uh, you know, 15 hotels. It's got a picture of the two guys at the management company that we brought in and gave them a, a little small portion of the general partnership that have built over 286 uh, un, um, hotels that manage over 50, I think at the time it was 48 hotels. So when you do the executive summary, here's what it said. Collectively, this group uh, owns or manages over um, 48 hotels, have been doing real estate since 1981, have built 286 ground up hotels. So they don't look at me and Mike. They're like, who are those guys? Oh, who cares? They're irrelevant, right? And so it's all about putting your paperwork together. Then you got an attorney that they're talking to that knows what they're doing. You don't necessarily have to know what you're doing all the time. It helps. But you just have to know how to put the right people around. We you. talk about that all the time, having mm -hmm. partners and how partners make you stronger, getting the right people on your team, things of that sort. I do have one question from the audience right now. And they want to know, how do you give back to the community? What have you done since you were in your days, you know, in, in, in your days of, of doing bad to now? What have you done to give back to that community and help other people not do what you did? So I got a group with over 220,000 people in it that I show how to do real estate. Mm -hmm. um, many of them have become millionaires uh, within a year. Um, I put a program together as well. I give out a lot of scholarships to the program. And show people exactly how to do this program. Um, we're in the middle of starting a nonprofit up. And what I want to do is scale this nonprofit all over the country. And we're going to teach people from the inner city, people that would grow up and maybe they're going to be drug dealers. We're gonna, or maybe they were drug dealers. We're going to teach them. Look, man, we're not going to teach them. We're going to teach them how to do carpentry, plumbing, electric, everything. We're going to teach them how to do property management, how to do the leasing how the bank financials work and how the burr works. But we're not teaching them to be employees. We're teaching them to be owners because when you're an owner, you have to understand how to manage all this stuff. And so what I got a, a buddy of mine right now that I want to work with and try this out in Cincinnati. And we're going to put the money up to do a burr on a commercial building. We're going to get the community involved and um, he's going to train them. They're going to they're going to get scholarships to my academy. So we're going to train them as well. And we got some of the people that have already went through the academy that I think we can get to volunteer. They're going to burr. So let's say we put a quarter million dollars down there. Once, once they burr it, they'll get that quarter million back. We the, the, the nonprofit gets that money back and then we redeploy it to another city or another place where we can do this over and over and over again. And your group is on Facebook, right? Yeah, it's on Facebook. Correct. It's a private group on Facebook. What's the name of your academy, Nate? Uh, it's uh, BIA, uh, Burr Invest Academy is the name of the academy. That's a private group. But um, the Burr Invest website, the Burr Invest group is free. That's B-R-R-R-R -R -R Invest um, on Facebook. Very active group, a great group where you can ask questions and get questions answered and not high level, probably in detail like what you guys teach. But there is some, you know, great information. And there's a lot of people in there that are, you know, got 10 million, 100 million dollars in real estate that are in the group as well. So All right, Bert, I mean, all right, Nate, I'm joining it right now. I'm literally going on my phone and I'm going to join <laughs> your Facebook. I like Facebook. Thank you. I'm, I'm older, so I'm still like all into Facebook. So, Nate, I have a few questions here about the hotel. Hotels um, that you're involved in, do you do them internationally or just in the U.S.? No, we're just in the U.S. 
we I understand now we did have one in the Bahamas that we were looking to buy and I would love to buy this one. I don't know if it's going to happen. It's on the it's on the water. It's beachfront. So I would love to buy that one. Um, but I will totally be your friend when you buy the Bahamas beachfront hotel. Just remember me. Why don't you invest? I should. Right. We'll we'll turn the whole thing into a masterminds, man. We'll just have people come out there, network, real estate. You know, um, I mean, that's that that's amazing when you get a bunch of people that want to do real estate around people that are doing real estate. Man, there's nothing more amazing than that, especially if you can trap them and put them on an island. Quit making excuses. You're going to do you some real estate. We try to chop our students in class so we can teach them. So, yeah, totally get it. Totally get it. So what advice would you give um, to that first time? This, you know, someone is is out there. They're motivated, motivated by you, by our, by us. Then they really want to jump in. They have no experience. They've had a, a crazy past, you know, whether it's been a tough family or or um, a tough uh, choices that they made in life. Like what would be that first bit of advice you would give somebody to, to get started in real estate? Find you a mentor, find you somebody you can learn from that is successful in doing this stuff already. It will save you a ton of time. Um, actually I got a podcast after this with the guy that was on my podcast yesterday. He was a firefighter and he said in 2014, he just sat in a parking lot and he was like, man, I'm either going to have to get a divorce or I'm going to have to figure something out because he was working a thousand hours of overtime. It was stressing his marriage and he bought a 50 unit was his first property. I said, how the hell did you do that? He said, well, I had a friend of mine who had become wealthy in real estate. And he told me to go get a mentor, a local mentor. And he went out and he got a mentor. He said, I'm willing to do whatever for free. He worked for the guy for free for a year. And by getting all the experience, he was able to go to a bank and qualified to get a 50 unit. He syndicated the capital, had somebody else sign debt, but get you a mentor. Because if you don't really understand what the goal is, everybody, everybody thinks it's a money problem. I'm going to be honest with you guys, man. Everybody always says, here's what they say. I said, what's keeping you money? Okay. So if I gave you $50,000 right now, what would you do with it? I'd go buy a property. What kind of property? What do the numbers look like? You know, what kind of cash flow are you going to have? What kind of area? What kind of appreciation? I, I don't know. Well, if you don't know any of this, you can't just go buy a property. You're going to, you're it's committing financial suicide. You got to get educated in it first. Agreed hundred percent. And we want our subscribers yep. to let us know what they feel about how they get started. And if they think that money is an obstacle for them. So go press the subscribe button, everyone subscribe, 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 go search up Nate and go subscribe to his podcast. Nate, what's the name of your podcast? This is the remix and you are the. Lever up. Lever up. Lever up. Lever up. 72X, baby. That's what we teach people how to do. 72X your money. You can become a millionaire in five years. Anybody can in real estate once you understand the Burr method. So you need to subscribe to us. And then right after that, go subscribe to Nate. And And then lever up. And then lever up. Yeah. (laughs) Lever up your life, man. And look, can I say one last thing? Find your why. It's not about you. If it's just about you, you're probably not going to do it. It has to be deeper than you. It has to be your wife, your husband, your kids, your mom, your dad. You got to find a reason, something that's driving you every day. Makes sense. And 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 
we talk about that too. So again, thanks for coming on our on our podcast today. We hope to do some more stuff with you in the future. You're and awesome, Nate. We, we, hey, you guys are awesome too. Thank you so much for having me. I'd love to have you guys on my podcast as well. Absolutely. Totally want to do that. Absolutely. We love real estate and we love teaching and we love motivating others just like you are. So great job to you. And uh, remember everybody out there, if you, if you visualize it, you can own it. So All we'll right. see you on the next one. All right. Thank you guys so much. You guys have an amazing day. Me too. Bye. Yep.